0: Hello and welcome back to the Standig Room Only Podcast. My name is Ben Standig and I cover the Washington football team for The Athletic as well as hosting this here podcast. I appreciate you guys checking it out, talking to to everybody on a Wednesday night. And we have got a jam-packed episode for you here. Not one, not two, three guests, including our first player prospect from the 2021 NFL Draft class. Kentucky linebacker Jamin Davis kindly took time out of his schedule to chat with me this week about everything that's going to go on with him in this draft. He's had a huge rise, it appears, to move, at least in the eyes of the public, to move from nowhere all the way into the first round. And I think he's somebody who could absolutely be in play for Washington at 19. We'll see about that in a couple of weeks. Uh, I talked to him. In addition to that... Uh, I talked to the athletics Pete Sampson. What who is he? Pete Sampson covers the Notre Dame Fight Fighting Irish for the athletic, which means he has been all about Jeremiah Usu Karamoa, yet another linebacker who would seemingly be in play for Washington at the 19th pick. So we learned about uh, about what makes him such an interesting and unique talent on and off the field. Uh as long as we talked about some other Notre Dame prospects. There's a handful of them in this class that would I think be interesting for Washington. And then lastly, my friend Monica McNutt, who's now a rising star in the media world. You've probably seen her on ESPN on her on the various shows like Around the Horn. Uh, I've known Monica for a long time when she was playing basketball at Georgetown. So we talked about her career being on ESPN. And also, Monica used to do some things for the Washington football team. And we talked about culture and whether things are changing from somebody who's been inside the building. So all that and more here on the Standard Room Only podcast, of course, make sure to check out the Athletic. You can subscribe uh, there. Uh, also, make sure you subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Spotify or anywhere you do your podcasting. Um, I hope everybody's doing well. Sometimes I forget to say that. Oh, you know what else? Sometimes I forget to say. Sometimes I forget to say that this podcast, this episode is we have a we have a sponsor. My friends at All Pro Reels. Uh, all Pro Reels is your credentialed digital media company covering all major professional sports teams in the Washington, D.C. area uh, through photography and videography. With a database of over 25,000 images, whether you're looking for in-game content or content with your favorite player, APR has you covered. And I know Joe Gloriosa and his team, they're out at the Nats these days it's a lot. So if, you, if you're a Nats person, check them out. Uh, you know, If you're just into social media, check them out on Twitter and on Instagram. Um. So, uh, anyway, I hope everybody is doing well. Uh, you know, it's a, there's a still uh, we're, we're all still dealing with a lot here, uh, with regards to uh, the pandemic. But it hopefully feels like things are moving back to normal. Um, and uh, you know, we'll we'll, we'll take it day by take it day by day. Um, on this day, we kind of it was a, kind of an interesting day in the in, in the Washington football team world, and that's because tight end. Uh, Samus Reyes spoke to the world. Who is Samus Reyes? That's a question we wouldn't even have asked that question one day ago because nobody had heard of him until Washington announced that they had signed him, Uh, an international player in the sense that he's from Chile. He matriculated to the United States, played basketball at Tulane, uh, and then... Somehow he signed with the Washington football team. And we're all kind of like, what's going on here? What is happening? Um, We got more color on this today. It was a really fascinating interview. Uh, Samus had a great backstory. Um, 14 years old, he moved from Chile to the United States by himself. Didn't speak English, but he had a dream. And his dream essentially was to play basketball, which, look, it's impressive enough that he was able to get a, a D1 scholarship to play at Tulane. Uh, obviously, that did not lead to him playing professional basketball, though he said he was, I believe, on the Chilean national team, um, at least at a certain age level, like different uh, teams on, on different levels. In any event, he has been living in the Washington, D.C. area for the last year. Uh, he told us that he spent some time, he was making some money uh, teaching people how to, you know, coaching people up to play basketball, but obviously that was tricky because of the pandemic. So he spent five months, he said, delivering DoorDash. Uh, I got that out of him on the question I asked. And when he said that, I said, well, decent chance that you delivered food to me because I've been ordering DoorDash quite quite a lot. Um, and uh, it was a really impressive really impressive story. And, I, I uh, you know, I haven't written about it yet. We'll probably get to it later down the line. I'm sure some of my other colleagues have, have already banged out a story on that. And it was interesting for sure. Um, from the context of the football team, what does this mean? Well, obviously it's they're taking a shot. Um, what I guess what was interesting about this is why did why why did they sign him rather than just simply go to the internet he was he was coming through the, the, the league's international program. I believe the same one that had David Beta. If I'm saying that last name right, to be honest, I'm not sure beta bada um on the practice squad all year. He was when you have an international player, they don't count on your roster in any way, shape, or form. You're allowed to have an extra spot. But this is not that. Washington actually signed him um, flat out to be part of the training camp roster. And you're just like, well, wait, this guy, and, and like, he, here's how much experience he has with football. 10 weeks, he said. 10 weeks of training through this program um, that, that the league uh, put, helps, helps do. And then from that, he went to, Uh, a pro day and showed off his wares. He's an incredibly athletic freak. And here's how much of an athletic freak he is. So as you guys probably can gather, I talked to a lot of different people around the league trying to figure out what's going on with free agency, the draft, this football team, you know, whatever. Uh, About a week, 10 days or so ago, I was talking with an agent and Various, you know, whatever. Talking about the football team, talking about the draft, all that kind of stuff. And we randomly were, were talking about the University of Florida in some way, and he told me that he had just fairly recently at that point, or you know, or, you know, yeah, fairly recently at that point, he had had a, a scout from another team. I'll just, uh, I'll say an NFC East team, not not this one. Um, tell him that there was a kid at the at the Florida Pro Day that was part of this international group that was showing off for scouts. And that this kid apparently blew minds, that he was looking like Gronk was the quote I was given. Um, and I'm like, Okay, well that's pretty interesting. Like, what's the deal with that? And the agent was like, Well, I don't know much beyond that, other than he's from Canada. I'm like, okay, so I looked. I was looking up online, I, Canada, I don't know, don't see anything. If you Google Florida Pro Day tight end, you know, a lot of Kyle Pitt stories come up. So it wasn't anything on that front either. And, um, I, you know, I kind of just, well, okay, that's interesting. I, I don't know what this means and kind of move on. Well, turns out, obviously, oh, and then the point was that for this, not only did this person look like Gronk, th- this NFC East team was gung-ho to sign him. And what Reyes told us today was that a lot of teams reached out. About twenty of them contacted him, uh, and, and you know, a handful were looking to to make a move. And obviously, the team that got got him last was the Washington Football Team. He, because he was living in this area, he said that Washington effectively was the team he wanted to be with. So, you know, sometimes you know, luck plays a big factor. It seems like to some degree that did here. Um, I did have an executive from another team tell me that they did see. Uh, they weren't at the workout, but saw a video of the workout and were and, and was impressed as an, as based on athletic traits. He's obviously incredibly raw as a football player because again, ten weeks. But nonetheless, a very interesting story. Um, sounds like Washington, you know, from in terms of a of a guy at that you know sort of practice squad level. Sounds like Washington, you know, gave him a little bit of money to to make this happen. So um, interesting across the board. I have no idea what this means for the football team. I would imagine they still need tight ends. Uh, you know, a guy that has, again, 10 weeks, uh, never played a game, 10 weeks of, 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 of real any kind of organized football activities, cannot project him onto the 53-man roster right now. We'll see about tomorrow. <laughs> uh but a very interesting story excited to see what happens here with Samus Reyes going forward and to see what he gets, what he looks like on the field but like i said athletically he apparently you know runs fast big strong all the things you're looking for so you know as and he wouldn't be the first basketball player to convert obviously a lot of them have done this before Mo Ali Cox from VCU is the guy currently in the league in in that uh in that range Antonio Gates is obviously maybe the most famous convert out there so we'll see what happens um Another fun storyline to keep track of as we get closer to uh, training camp at, at a minimum. We'll see about the offseason. The, the league did put out a schedule today, and basically it's going to be a lot of virtual stuff for a while. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens uh, when we get past the draft. We'll talk more about that um, in, in the days ahead. But for now, let's focus on this podcast. So up first, we'll start with my conversation with Kentucky linebacker Jamin Davis. From there... Uh, The Athletics, Notre Dame beat writer Pete Sampson talking Jeremiah Owusu-Karamoa and some of the other Notre Dame prospects. And then we'll talk with my friend Monica McNutt about her career, the Washington football team, little Georgetown basketball, and some more. All that here on the Standard Room Only podcast. All right. Uh, Very excited to welcome to the Standard Room Only podcast a guy whose name we're going to hear about for years to come in the NFL. He is uh, Jamin Davis, linebacker at Kentucky in a projected First round pick joining us here. Jamin, man, I really appreciate your time. I, I can't even imagine how busy your schedule is these days. How's it going?
1: I'm doing pretty good. I'm just keeping my head above water, honestly. So uh, thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, no, no sweat. I, I really appreciate it. Uh, like, uh, I know, I'm sure when you grow up and you imagine one day possibly paying in the NFL, I imagine that jumps to the actual playing, maybe skips over some of this, Pre draft stuff where you have to go through the workouts and you go through the team meetings. It's obviously different this year because of COVID, but how is it? How, how has this been going relative to expectations, or were there no expectations because it's such a different world this year?
1: Um, honestly, it was anything but predictable with everything that's going on as far as COVID. Uh, I always wanted to live my dream out and get a chance to go to the combine and stuff like that. And everything is just completely different because of COVID. So, I mean, I'm just taking everything as it comes my way and just running with it. Honestly,
0: I mean, I think that's all any of us can do in in, in this last year, for sure. So, yeah, that's I think that's the right attitude to 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 take. Um, all right, so I'm gonna spin through uh some some random questions for you. Like, I, I'm sure you know you've done other interviews and you've been asked a lot of the same stuff. Some may repeat, but I'll try to be a little more random in a few other ones. Here's one I'm I'm just always fascinated by with athletes is the diet the the diet that you guys that you maintain and like foods that you have to uh, stay away from um i've seen pictures of you you clearly have pushed dessert away uh it appears you, you know you 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 know you, you 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 and i are the same species but we are very different in terms of how our bodies look you're, you're 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 chiseled and cut like nfl teams want a player to look like and i look like the before picture in in the uh before and after pictures so tell me about your diet like you clearly have to you know eat a, a, enough to maintain your 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 stamina out of the field you're 234 pounds six three and a half you run a four three seven but you got to be strong enough to take on offensive linemen and pulling guard so what's your what's your basic diet like these days get as you're getting ready for everything what, what what's your what, what's the caloric intake i love i love these stories
1: uh, I mean, surprisingly, there's nothing too crazy that you would like be expecting or anything like that. I just tend to just really stay away from fast foods and things that I know that that probably mess up my body in the long run. So uh, as far as it, I look at it as a car, like you got to be mindful of what you put in your engine And as, as far as everything goes. Uh, just making sure I'm staying on top of my proteins, and my carbs and up until just recently, I've been getting into a lot of different fruits as well. So.
0: Right, I mean, you're you're not a 350 pound offensive lineman who who who, who needs to eat 12 times a day or whatever. Uh, so when you say like stay away from stuff, like when's the last time you actually had fast food? Uh,
1: last time I had something like McDonald's, uh, I can't even recall honestly. It's been a, it's been a good minute. I can't even think of it off the top of my head, but it's it, been a
0: pretty. Uh, is 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 that like a, was that like a big uh, sacrifice, or is there any other food that you had that you're like I had to put, you know, or maybe soda or something that you had to stop? That was more of a challenge.
1: It wasn't necessarily a challenge. I mean, especially when you figure out how a lot of that stuff is made, it, it was pretty easy to kind of let it go. So, <laughs> so you
0: you you, you are uh, you're smart and and physically gifted because yeah, despite reading many things and knowing stuff. It is not always easy to push away from those places. They're, they're convenient for a reason. And uh, not true. good. But, but uh, yeah, the, the, the fuel into the car analogy makes just so much sense for, for sure. Um, all right. Second question. I've looked at, I've read the various scouting reports on you. In terms of making sense, you make a lot of sense for all kinds of teams who need linebackers. Um, the team I cover, the Washington football team needs linebackers. So to me, you would make some sense there as well. But I've read their scouting reports. Tell me your scouting reports. If a team, the team that drafts you, what is that team getting in Jamin Davis?
1: Uh, whatever they want me to be, honestly, a guy that's a, a truly gifted as far as athletic abilities, I guess you could say. And honestly, somebody that will step in and do whatever I need to do, whether it's from special teams or playing center if you need to be too. It's just a guy that just really be stepping in and just making an
0: immediate impact. Well, if, they, if you have to play center, you might have to start eating six meals a day or something. Uh, but like in terms of linebacker, obviously there's, uh, do you get a sense, I guess, there are teams looking, there's, you know, four, three defenses, there's three, four defenses. There's also now with so much sub packages, you know, uh, going with only two linebackers and the linebackers have to use bin coverage a lot. I'm sure you can do anything, but do you get a sense from teams that kind of where maybe more looking at you than, than not?
1: Not necessarily that's one of my things I try to take pride in is being able to play either position. So, I mean, they don't really give me like a clear cut answer as far as where I would go or anything like that. They just make sure that I know like that I'm ready to step in and just take on any, any challenge they throw at me.
0: So speaking of challenges, so you, you played obviously the SEC. That's about as challenging as it gets on the college, on the college level. Uh, One of those games this year was against Florida. Um, I know Kyle Pitts and Kyle Trask had a good day. They're, They're good players what in terms of like obviously kyle pitts is considered to be something of a, a, a athletic freak like like yourself so he may be different than a lot of tight ends but there's a lot of really interesting tight ends in the league what was the challenge dealing with a guy like that and how do you think what you were able to 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 show athletically in that scenario how, how, what do you think that was able to show teams going forward
1: Honestly, I didn't look at it as much of a challenge. Uh, I mean, I prepared for him the same way I prepare for anybody else on our schedule, and, and honestly, it would be the same way if I did get the opportunity to play at the next level. So, I mean, I say it wasn't really much of a big hoopla or anything like that as far as preparing for a guy like that. I knew he was a talented kid, and me and him are actually good friends. So, I mean, it wasn't anything that was so magical about it.
0: You know, obviously, the jump from college to the NFL is a real jump. There's instead of it being a handful of players on the field at any given time who are professional level, obviously, everybody is. But when you're in the SEC, though, I mean, it's insane how many players uh, in any given game you're playing are, are of that caliber. Do you think that's going to help your adjustment to the league that you've been playing week in, week out against that, that level uh, of talent already?
1: Yes, sir. Definitely, I feel like I'm still going to just continue to do what I can to just be the best version of myself possible. And I don't think it's really going to affect anything as far as my play style or anything like that. So,
0: um, so let me ask you: As I mentioned, Washington, I mean, uh, you can tell me if you've spoken to them or, or and to what degree you have. But they have. Well, actually, I'll just start with that. Have you kind of have you? I've heard there's been some interest in you from them. Have you actually talked to them directly? And if so, do you kind of remember who you who you talked to? Uh.
1: Not too direct, but at this point, I've pretty much spoken with almost everybody.
0: (laughs) Gotcha. Well, so to that end, like, I don't know how much you're focusing on them, but you have Ron Rivera as the head coach, a former longtime NFL linebacker. The defensive coordinator, Jack Del Rio, a former longtime NFL linebacker. And there's a linebacker coach, Steve Russ, who also played linebacker in the NFL. Uh, anywhere you go, there'll be people there to coach and to help you up. But what do you think it would mean to be in a situation where not one, not two, but three people played the position in the NFL? What do you think that would do in terms of the the focus on you from them, but also just that the, the, the opportunity to sort of learn from that level of experience?
1: Uh, something like that would definitely be beneficial because you got guys that know what to do and they, that pretty much have been in my shoes. So, I mean, something like that to learn from would be pretty much awesome. And then on top of that, you just step in and basically be a human sponge, just learn everything you possibly can.
0: Um, yeah, for, 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 for sure. Um, let let me, let me ask you some sort of more random question here. Uh, social media, you're, you're a young person, you're on social media. I think by law you have to be. Uh you've got a Twitter account, you've got an Instagram account, you've got a bunch of followers. Uh not everybody follows you though. So a question I ask everybody is who is somebody that doesn't follow you on Twitter that you wish did?
1: Uh probably probably Jimmy Johnson. NASCAR driver. He was my like my go-to guy growing up. I was a diehard Jimmy Johnson fan. I was pretty bummed out when he retired last year. But uh, that was somebody I always pretty much kept up with, and it would be pretty cool to have him following me, I guess.
0: Yeah, yeah, it would be cool. I read, I read, I think, in one of your bios that you're a big big NASCAR guy. Is that just been the way always from uh, from day one? I mean, I guess that's all you remember? Yes, sir. What about NASCAR appeals to you?
1: I honestly don't know. I just always was a fan of just cars and, and racing, motorcycles, just any and everything. Just as I was growing up, I used to watch the races almost every other Sunday and just – something me, my brother, and my sister used to keep up with, so. Gotcha.
0: Have you ever uh, had the opportunity to get in a, in a in a stock car? Yes, sir. Yeah, so have you, like, driven around a track before?
1: Yes, sir. Like well, I didn't it. drive. I mean, I got I got to do a ride along. So.
0: Right, right. How, what, how fast did you go? Uh,
1: I definitely don't remember, but it was everything I expected it to be. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, like driving in a car fast. I mean, look, I think if we're all uh, all honest, at some point we probably pushed the pedal a bit too far and uh, did some stuff. When we were, we were younger, of course, and don't do that, kids. Don't don't do, don't do anything stupid. But the idea of doing it in that controlled space—that would be so amazing. Although I, I think I, I don't know if I'd be. I, I feel like I'd have one hand clutching the uh, <laughs> the, the the door to, to grip. What was it? Uh, who, who was who was driving? Was it a, a, an actual NASCAR driver or just somebody was saying?
1: It, I'm not even sure. I, I think it was just somebody that was part of the little experience thing in Charlotte. So I mean, I don't know exactly who it was, but it wasn't like an actual driver that was like currently racing the Cup Series or anything like that.
0: Gotcha. For for what it's worth, if you if you somehow ended up with Washington, Dale Earnhardt Jr. is a huge Washington football team fan. So you um, may um, you may have to change. I don't know. You, just to, just so you know, in case you mentioned you, who your favorite NASCAR driver is, I'm just letting you know in advance in case that were to uh, <laughs> that were to be a uh, that would be a thing um so yeah. you actually uh kind of answered i guess my my next question of who's your favorite athlete i assume jimmy johnson is the answer to that also or is there so, or or is there somebody else
1: maybe him and kobe bryant i was a big kobe kobe bryant fan growing up as well so yeah i
0: uh, kobe bryant was easily one of my favorite guys it's really it's hard to believe now i mean obviously it's still hard to believe it happened but like yeah. that it's already been a year it's uh it, it's been and, and everything that's happened since <laughs> um has really been off the charts. Obviously, one of the things about Kobe Bryant that stood out to me always, look, obviously he was a great player, but it was the level of the mental uh, side of him that, that he was just going to do, gonna do everything he could to to win on the field on the court. And I know I saw for you one quote that you, you you've mentioned is that I guess a coach early in your life said to you, you can't essentially, if I, if I had this right, you can't have like a million dollar dream with a minimum wage attitude or something like that work ethic work ethic sorry uh so that i mean that feels like something that i could imagine kobe bryant kind of saying how does that how has that driven you in your career so far
1: um you're talking about as far as a quote that you just stated
0: yeah i mean i mean you know it's one thing for all of us to sort of have a quote that we sort of say but like it's another thing to have it actually play out in your life it's saying but clearly it seems like as i look at you and what you've accomplished that that that's the case
1: uh that was honestly something that I pretty much lived by my entire life. Uh, growing up, I was a kid that always really had a chip on my shoulder and just many different situations that I've been put through as far as on the field and off the field. Um, no matter what is going on, you just, even if it's behind closed doors, nobody will know what's really going on as far as like your grinding and your work ethic. So you can't expect to get to the top and you're not really applying yourself to get to that, that point. So.
0: I mean, work in terms of working out. Like, what's the thing or two that you do that's like extra? What are the things that you do that is helping you achieve? I mean, I, like some people, it's like they get up at you know five a.m. You know, like the, like the, in the Rocky movies, and he's uh, he's getting up, he's eating, you know, he, he's he's doing all the, the the things like before the sun's up. Is there whatever it is? Maybe it's extra film work. Anything? Is there anything you kind of do that you think is kind of puts you over the top?
1: I guess I would say I have my own routine. That's, that's what I can tell you. I have my own routine that I would stick to, and it wouldn't change for anybody.
0: Gotcha. Um, uh, I, met, uh, I mentioned this to you earlier. What is a Hall of Fame that you qualify for based on a hobby or a habit?
1: I guess we can throw the NASCAR one back in there. I, I, I'm a guy that religiously used to keep up with NASCAR, even throughout the season. So uh, I even used to do my own little simulations and stuff like that on my, on my um, gaming system where I would download NASCAR, the heat, the video game, and I'll just run my own races and stuff like that here and there. That's probably something that I'll do, like, make make me Hall of Fame, my Hall of Fame classified. There you go.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Um, well, Jamie, look, I really appreciate the time. Um, I know you're clearly you, you got other things to do. I guess just lastly, what do, you think it's, what do you think it's going to be like on that day as we get to the NFL draft that first day? What do you think it's going to be like for you? You think it'll be like a nervous day? You just excited it'll be over with? excited to get to the next chapter what do you think is going to be going to run through your mind the most when we get to that, that
1: that first day of the draft honestly just hoping and praying that I get an opportunity to go to somebody's team and get a chance to get right to work uh that's really my main like focus right now and it's of course it'll be a dream come true of course but I mean honestly I just hope and pray I can get the opportunity
0: and, and obviously it's been written about it, especially recently in, in the athletic Bruce Feldman wrote a story about you and and, and my friend Nikki Jabala wrote about you in the Washington Post about that like a, not even that long ago, nobody was talking about you in the first round range. And now all of a sudden you've become this guy. Is it, is it surprising to you that it's come like this or is it just the rest of the world is catching up to what you already kind of knew?
1: Exactly what you just said. It's almost like the rest of the world is just catching up. I mean, I stayed true to myself. I didn't really change anything about my work ethic or anything like that. My attitude stayed positive for the most part. Um and I just took it one step at a time. And I guess eventually everybody's just starting to see the same stuff that I've honestly been preaching.
0: Got it. Well, Damon, look, best of luck with everything that's going to come up here, not just in the next couple of weeks, but going forward in your career. You uh, Look, I, Washington needs linebacker. I don't know if that means they're taking one in the first round and if they do, if that means you. But in a lot of ways, it makes a lot of sense. So, you know, best of luck on that. And for what it's worth, if you get a sense that they're going to pick you, uh, tell me. i'd I'd appreciate appreciate the heads up (laughs) (laughs) i got you all right jamin i really appreciate it best of luck and hopefully we can talk again
1: yes sir thank you for having me
0: all right so now we go from talking to a possible linebacker getting drafted in the first round of the nfl draft to talking about one uh notre dame's jeremiah uso Karamoa is going to be one of the guys who's going to be an interesting player in this draft possibly even for washington and here to talk about him and some other guys from the Fighting Irish is the Athletics Pete Sampson, our Notre Dame insider, Pete Man. How, first of all, I really appreciate the time. How is life, I assume, are you, I don't even know, are you actually in South Bend or oh, yeah. how yes. how's, how's, how's that going?
2: Uh, South Bend has been great. I've, I've been here for about 16 years now. So it um, sort of, I, I enjoy the, you could be at campus in five minutes or less. Um, <laughs> Makes it fairly convenient compared to covering an NFL team where that's just not possible. Uh, but yeah, N- Notre Dame is in the middle of spring practice, it's a pretty big turnover of the roster, which is why there's such an interesting story around draft time because they lost a lot of high end guys that are, you know, in Jeremiah Sukormo is um, the top of that list.
0: Yeah, if, uh, and I'm thinking now that I think about South Bend, obviously, we all think about Notre Dame, but if I'd come to you at any point in the last year, I maybe I would have asked you how Mayor Pete was, but that's yes. a whole other. That's, that's a whole other uh, conversation. Uh, I guess he's actually living where I live now, I assume.
2: Yes, I that's, uh, we, my and one of my other neighbors, Amy uh, Coney Barrett, I think that she has maintained her house in South Bend, but will also have a residence in DC, so. Uh,
1: there you
0: go, yes. You're, you are the political epicenter of the country <laughs> along with the, the football, uh, a, a very powerful football program. So yeah, so, so look, obviously when, when, you, when you talk about the NFL draft, for most people, it's like, okay, well, who are these people? You have to study them. Even people who are avid college football fans, you know, you can only watch so many games so many times. And when you're watching a game, typically we all follow the ball, right? We're not necessarily following every player. So you don't, uh, you don't always know what traits a, a player has. And even if you see some things, you know, what are you watching every single game? And, uh, you know, we, you know, unless you watch the tape, you can't always tell what's, you know, wh- wh- who was at fault or what was a good play, or what was a bad play. So it's interesting to get to know these guys. Uh, owusu Karamo is a fascinating prospect. He's like this very much this hybrid. Like calling him a linebacker seems almost wrong. (laughs) Like they almost have to invent a different kind of position name for what he is because you can use him all over the place. He's not the biggest guy out there in the world. Um, Tell me what you saw with with him at Notre Dame and and uh, what type. Who who is this guy?
2: He's he's a fascinating prospect. Uh, one at Notre Dame because he sort of let Notre Dame play 11 and a half on 11 because you always felt like he was a guy that could give you pass rush like a, a dn you know a, a sub package dn but a guy that could cover uh, slot receivers and tight ends without too much trouble um, so he, he really let you do a bunch of different things if you're a defensive coordinator I mean there's Their defensive coordinator got the Vanderbilt job, I think, in part because he was able to take Jeremiah Usu-Cormo and maximize what he could be. But it really takes some creativity, I think, to get that out of him. If you're a D.C. that is sort of stuck in I play the way that I play at the next level, I I could see him not being a great fit um, or not being maximized at that level. But, I mean, an incredible hitter. Um, I mean, I I wrote a story during the season where I – interviewed a physics professor because i wanted to try to better understand like how does this guy hit as hard as he does for only being 215 220 um you know when he strikes you it's a, a 245 255 type of collision so i think he, i mean he's one he's a great interview if he goes to washington congratulations to you uh <laughs> it's great it'll be great uh in press settings but if you're a defensive coordinator you got you got to find a way to maximize him because he he could easily be a tweener in a bad way at the next level um or or a hybrid in a good way and that that's sort of down to what your defensive coordinator can do with sort of a flex safety outside linebacker
0: um because you're a college football fan i'm assuming you pay at least some attention to isaiah simmons
2: yes last year So, so,
0: so he's the one that sort of a comparison at least in a loose one because with simmons it was very much also this hybrid you can use him in all over the place but simmons was about 240 and here we're talking about somebody who i think just put on weight to get to 220 225 yeah so that's
2: that's tricky to me because i mean simmons was rangier right i mean he was a taller prospect The Wusukormoa, there was some thought like all right well do you want to bulk him up and turn him into like a will linebacker i guess that you could um I wonder if you would sort of lose what makes him special if you tried to do that though. Um, Cause he's not, you don't, if you look at him physically, he's not somebody that you would say, aha, you, I could see where I could find I could put 10 to 15 pounds on this guy. Cause he's already very chiseled up. Um, so I think he's probably more of your, a safety linebacker hybrid than a linebacker DN hybrid type of guy. Um, I think that his coverage skills make him unique, but I, I don't think he's nearly as unique as Isaiah Simmons was. And I, I mean, I remember covering Notre Dame Clemson and watching him play and thinking like, Holy crap, who is that? Um, he's marking Notre Dame's number one receiver. No problem. Uh isn't at quite at that level, but he does have some sort of all field traits.
0: Yeah, it, it's interesting here because like you mentioned the idea of him being more of a linebacker towards the towards safety, which, which works in a certain level because Washington's defensive line is pretty stout with all the recent first-round picks they had, Chase Young and others. They do have some safeties, Landon Collins is a guy that they have, but he's coming off an Achilles tear and uh, didn't really have uh, – he's been kind of uh, hit or miss since he's been here, so it's a question if he were to show up here like – how does he fit in? But I mean, I do imagine that Jack Del Rio and Ron Rivera would be creative with it, but well, it'll be interesting to see where he fits in. Uh, As you've, I assume to some degree, you've thought about uh, what may make sense for him. Have you, when you've looked at a board, have you thought to yourself, this is a team that kind of makes sense or based on when you've anybody you've talked to any sense of kind of where he might be a good fit for someone, you
2: know, teams, not, as much as just sort of schemes like I, I do think a 4-3 sort of Sam linebacker basically the the kind of position he played at Notre Dame where he's in space more like I think sticking him in the box is kind of a waste um I also don't like I know that in the past um I think Bullware at uh, Seattle a while back was like sort of a linebacker that they turned into a safety I don't I don't see that being a fit for him either the way that the NFL game has evolved since then. So, I mean, I, I do think he's sort of in space linebacker who can help you cheat in nickel um, but keep your base personnel on the field. Cause he's sort of, he can play a nickel position. Um, you know, as I've seen him interviewed in draft situations and people ask, you know, are you a safety or are you a DN or your corner? Like, no, he's definitely a linebacker who can like, Sort of stretch what your defense is capable of doing. So, I mean, if you're if you're a four three scheme who has, is short of space players um, at the second level, I think that's that's where you would you would activate that. Um, if you're hoping to turn him into a safety, I think that's that's probably a reach too far.
0: And you mentioned that if he comes here, you know, kudos for me and my colleagues yes. on the on the on the writing side, but um, but obviously the what's always interesting is, you know, how does somebody fit into a, into a locker room? I, I presume you were not able to exactly be around these guys over this past season because of the pandemic, but he's been there for more than just this year. What's your sense of him as a, uh, culture guy a, a guy in a locker room is he a, a rah-rah leader more of a guy who, who leads by example or what what would your sense be of him in that in that realm well,
2: yeah much more example i don't think he's super vocal uh in terms of like the guy who' was like breaking down a huddle or you know giving the speech in the locker room um that was just never really his role here um i think that he was he was respected in the locker room for sure i think that he matured a lot in his time here i think his first couple of years he was just sort of like he redshirted his first year and then broke his foot didn't play as a sophomore so he was just sort of like floating through here and then found himself as a junior um but a, a very earnest guy um I don't think you're gonna run into a lot of like is it, there's no off-field red flag here at all um I think that if you, if you picked him it's purely a question of like how do you make it work athletically there's nothing that is gonna make you wonder like okay well how does he fit in the locker room? Can we trust him? You know, I, it, maybe it would be interesting because he's from Virginia um, and, you know, kind of grew up in some difficult circumstances. Um, you know, how, how does that work? I, d- I don't know, but um, you know, I, I think that's something that you would probably check out if you're Washington and thinking about it.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah. He grew up in like a Hampton, Virginia. So All it's right. like, uh, you know, a few hours away, but uh, yep. Same state uh, accounts. Yeah. <laughs> um, Let's go to the other side of the ball. There's a couple of offense. Well, actually, I guess there's three offensive prospects of note. But one of them is Liam Eikenberg. Uh, the, the tradition of Notre Dame left tackles going to the NFL is pretty good. So if you're going to draft some, if you were just going to strictly draft, I think I asked, I think I asked somebody this once. Uh, I don't know if it was Daniel Jeremiah, or Rick Neuheisel, or somebody. But like, if you were just like to pick any position in college, and you just have to pick that that player, whoever it is, because of what's come before, if you pick. I don't think they said Notre Dame left tackle, but based on the recent history, that would seem to be a pretty good one. Uh How does Liam Eikenberg kind of fit into this tradition of guys like McGlinchey and Stanley and, and others who've come who've come uh, to the league?
2: Yeah, Zach Martin was the guy that preceded them. So it's uh, it's been a pretty ridiculous run here. But, <laughs> yeah. I mean, Eikenberg is a cut below those guys. Um I mean, athletically, he is good. Um, he is not a freak the way that Stanley is um, and nor I think the way that McGlinchy is, um, you know, nor do I think he's the technical um, sort of master of the position, the way Zach Martin is. Um, I think he's just, he's a good prospect. I think he's a second round type of, of, of pick. Um, could he, he could play left. He could play right. He's, he never played guard at Notre Dame. He talked, he has talked a little bit about that since it's probably a, a marketing position to take you know, make yourself versatile. But um yeah, I would say that he's, he's not the sure thing that those other guys were. Um, but I think he was Notre Dame's best offensive line NFL prospect. I'm not sure that he was Notre Dame's best lineman. Um, you know, Robert Hainsey was really good, not a pro prospect in the same way Eichenberg is based on sort of arm length and, and, and reach and height. But um I do think Eichenberg is a massive guy. He has played a lot of football at a very high level. Um, You should be able to flip on the tape and see him playing against, uh, I would say at least a half dozen first round picks um, during his time here. So there, there really should be no mystery with him. I think that that might be one of his great assets is like, you should know what you're getting. If you can scout offensive linemen, because it's not like he was a guy who came in and played one year against lower level competition. Um, you know, it'd be Clemson, Michigan, Alabama, uh, USC. He's he's played elite guys, you know, really from the time he got in the starting lineup to, to now.
0: Um, there's also uh, Aaron Banks, right? Uh, guard, it looks like maybe more of a day three guy. Um, it could be a play for either Washington situation. They could, they, they did an upgrade on the left side of the line of both sides, but there's always a depth thing. And Brandon Scherf, their starting right guard is, playing on the franchise tag again he may not be back so there it's possible they could take either position if not both at some point um in the draft um but the other guy i'm interested in from notre dame is the tight end um tommy tremble washington has a big need at tight end depth at a minimum and this is not a draft that has loaded names uh people may have heard kyle pitts <laughs> he's gonna yeah. go somewhere well before washington picks and then after that it becomes sort of a crapshoot there's a handful of guys somewhere could go somewhere on day two day day three tremble seems to be one of them uh, my friend Bobby is a huge Notre Dame fan, and he just all he ever told me was this guy blocks like he's crazy, and yeah. like it seems to be the big the big thing with him. What what's the deal with uh, Tommy Tremble?
2: That is your guy Bobby is on it. Um, he blocks like he is a madman. Um, loves that part of the game, which is thing is sort of like the inverse of your typical tight end these days, uh, where you have they catch first and you have to teach them to block. Um, with him, it's the other way around. I think that. Uh, the upside there, one, the physicality the, at the point of attack, but not necessarily as like an inline tight end. Like he's somebody that you would want to move around, motion, offset. You know, he played fullback and short yardage, um, could split out wide in a combination with the receiver. So I, I think he's somebody that you need a creative play caller to maximize. Um, the receiving part is interesting because he he never was really targeted all that much. Um And even last year, I think he was targeted seven times in the Duke game and then maybe 15 times the rest of the season. Um, You know, part of that is Notre Dame's lead tight end, Michael Mayer, is a future first-round pick in two years. I mean, he's a a ridiculous talent. So, Tremble was not as good as him, um, but he was still better than 99% of the other tight ends in college football. Um, You know, hands, you'll see a lot of questions about his hands because he had – Probably, I don't know what his drop percentage was, but it was high uh, relative to the number of targets he actually did get. Um, But I feel like that's an an easier fix than can we make this guy physical and block a linebacker into the sideline or make a cornerback tap out of the game because he, he has done that multiple times at Notre Dame. So if you're in the third round and you're Washington, you're like, hey, we need some help at tight end and you have talked yourself into, like, this is the next George Kittle, I, I'm totally down with that. I, I think that is a it's a good comparison, not in terms of George Kittle today, but people forget George Kittle was a fifth-round pick. Right. Um, so I could see Tremble being a, a good value in the third round. Um, I think second round is kind of a reach, but if you're Washington and you're there in the third round and you say, like, okay, we, we need better tight end play – is going to come in and help you, especially if you're not asking him to come in and be your lead number one tight end on, on day one.
0: Yeah, I mean, it uh, makes sense to me. He's been somebody I've been paying attention to. I, I won't bore you with the, the the Washington tight end journey. But last year I thought they were gonna get one in the draft. They didn't. Uh, they signed Logan Thomas in free agency, which turned out to be a great move, but they, they really don't have much else going on right now. They literally today, we're talking on Tuesday. They literally today signed a guy who played basketball at Tulane and is one of these players transitioning and everybody's excited about it, not having any idea if this guy's any good, but because everybody re- recognizes anything at tight end right now is interesting because they don't have anything. So I'm, they have two third round picks and a second. So I'm kind of hoping they use one of them on the tight end, but we'll uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, I'd be remiss if I guess I didn't ask you on some level since you I, I not only cover college football, but Notre Dame in its last two games last year played trevor lawrence and mac jones uh obviously alabama is good and i'm sure mac jones looked good in that game you know for all kinds of reasons when you were watching that game did you think to yourself you might be watching a guy who's going to be picked third in the nfl draft
2: no and i still don't understand it honestly um i you know this was a a, i talked to people who covered alabama and i I basically want to know like all right who gets the credit on that offense? Is it Devonta Smith? Is it Najee Harris? Is it Mac Jones? Essentially like rank those three guys. I couldn't te- I couldn't get anyone to rank Mac Jones above Najee Harris or Devonta Smith. Um, and I don't know if you would rank Mac Jones above Leatherwood um, and all of those offensive linemen that they have. I mean, forget Jalen Waddle who didn't play in the game. Um, and that's not to say that Mac Jones can't be an nfl quarterback but at no point in watching that game are you sitting there thinking like yes i'm watching i watched trevor lawrence and mac jones like i watched two top five picks back to back trevor lawrence yeah i mean that that was pretty obvious but um mac jones i just i thought that he was like going to be a mid-round pick um you know almost based on reputation um because he doesn't move necessarily all that well, but um, figured out how to really take advantage of some incredible weapons. Now, what, you know, I'm in the press box. I don't understand the, the scheme that they're running or what he's asked to read out and how complicated it is. So that's, you know, credit to him. Clearly he's doing some high-tech stuff, but right. um, <clears throat> athletically there was nothing about him that made you sit there and say like, yeah, I, I just watched a top five pick.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's remarkable that he's made the, the rise. I mean, it, it was one thing when he was going to be in the first round. Okay. You know, look, he obviously put up good numbers and, you know, even if he has all the yep. weapons that he has, you still have to execute and he did, but yeah, that we've gotten to the point where he may not be the third pick of the draft is just quite, uh, quite remarkable. Um, just lastly, just again, it, it's so weird. Notre Dame, I'm a, uh, an old school, uh, I grew up rooting for, for Maryland Well, in Georgetown, don't, don't ask, uh, it's my it's my only one sports flaw. Anyway, uh, so it's weird to think that Notre Dame is now in the ACC, sort of tangentially, kind of. Um, obviously, you didn't play every Notre Dame didn't play everybody in the ACC this year, but you played a bunch of teams. Is there anybody who's in the draft this year from another school that just as you were watching over the course of the season just kind of stood out to you? And it could be Trevor Lawrence or anybody else, or if you want to pick one of the Alabama guys, that's fine too. Was there just anybody <laughs> that just anybody that kind of stood out to you as a uh, as, as, as pretty interesting
2: yeah it's, i mean i'm trying to go over i really liked um the running back from uh J- J- hawkins from louisville mm-hmm. um, he ended up opting out midway through the season but i i just think he is a dynamic player that um has a chance to do something on the next level and then there's there's a the receiver from florida state um who also opted out i'm, I'm like
0: tamorian terry or yes yeah.
2: I really liked him. Um, he torched Notre Dame. And I think that Florida state had, a, I think a more sophisticated passing game um, that, that could have been a ball game. Um, he was somebody that Notre Dame had just an incredibly difficult time covering. Um, so I think maybe as a late round pick or something like that, um, he would be something. And then look, I North Carolina, I, I realize they have, you know, Chaz Surratt uh, and their two running backs. I was not in one game in a one game evaluation. I was not impressed with any of those guys. Um, right. Notre Dame went there and really took it to them. But um, I, I I fully acknowledge that there are people in the NFL that know way more and have watched way more than I have. Uh, I can just tell you against Notre Dame, they, they didn't do a dang thing. All
0: right. No, yeah, that's a guy. Washington needs a linebacker as we're discussing. And, and if they didn't get it in the first round, he's a guy that possibly would make sense in day two, but sure. Uh, w- yeah. The, the, that's the thing no matter how who comes out and says what we can take whatever Mel Kuyper says or Daniel Jeremiah or Dane Brugler or anybody it's only ultimately one voice and even even if a team picks a player in the first round or, like it's ultimately just one one person making a decision to do that it doesn't mean it's universal and that's why this is all one big uh, educated guessing game on some level you just have to wait and see what happens.
2: Yeah I mean my favorite example of this is like I covered a Notre Dame Pittsburgh game I think in 2013 13 or 2014 and they had Aaron Donald back then <laughs> and Notre Dame just single blocked them against a guy that ended up not sort of giving up football and now is like a consultant in DC uh, and Notre Dame players would joke like they and NFL teams need to go out and sign Steve Elmer to play guard against <laughs> Aaron Donald because he shut him down that one time um, you know so it just yeah you see these elite players uh, in the draft and you go back and think about the games that you covered just in one-off situations and be like that guy was a top 10 pick or that guy turned into an all pro. I mean, you just, it's hard. It's it's just difficult to make those uh, predictions, but it's, it's fun to look back and think that maybe you saw an elite talent that you just, you did, you actually did not see it as the game was unfolding.
0: Well, that was like the thing, right? I, I don't, I'm almost afraid to bring up this name because I, I don't know exactly where to go, but like with Dan Dockett, he's famous now because of whatever he says right. on the radio, but he was the guy who, I don't know if he was good for the Jordan stopper, but it is one NCAA tournament game, Indiana against Carolina. He made Michael Jordan, I guess, whatever. Michael Jordan looked less than superhuman in his game. And Dan Dockage became known as a guy who <laughs> controlled Michael Jordan on some level. And, uh, you know, obviously I think we know how that, how that went on both, on both fronts. Uh, Pete, man, I really appreciate it. Uh, g- good luck covering spring football. Everybody go read Pete's stuff. About Notre Dame, uh, go back and read what, what he wrote but with the with the uh, what'd you say a physicist of on the uh, uh, a physics professor.
2: Physics yeah, professor. it was yeah. Uh, it was a fun story and uh, game day. ESPN's college football program ended up picking up and doing a a feature on it, um, but it, it turned into a kind of a fun very athletic-y kind of story, right? Like where you just like think completely outside the boxes if the box didn't even exist. So it was a a fun story to do.
0: Awesome. All right. Well, I I need to go read that one myself. Uh, Definitely appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Anytime. Thanks. All right. Uh, You know, it's not every time you get somebody on the podcast that, you know, once upon a time you knew them when they were uh, a, a small acorn in the media world that, and they have now grown into this ginormous tree. I don't know if that's the right thing, but whatever. This, <laughs> enor- this ginormous uh, media personality. But we have that pleasure today because joining us here is uh, the legendary Monica McNutt. I don't even know what. What do I ever Are you? Are you like? full espn at this point like i don't know how these things work are you are you like you, you do some stuff for them you do some stuff for other people is that well, what's going on here but you're everywhere at this point.
3: point first of all standing thank you for taking me from an acorn to an oak i, I don't think i'm yet an oak I'm, well, a, I'm a decent little tree A little decent tree
0: yeah I, I had nothing to do with it i just said like that's an a all i'm gonna give myself this i just i kept pointing look that acorn over there i don't watch that one i'm i did go on the record of that many times i'm taking that credit <laughs> But anyway, I didn't you did everything else.
3: Definitely. I, I, it's funny because I actually tell the story a lot of my last few press conferences, last in particular, and kind of the first parlay and saying on the presser, like I'm trying to get in media now. And it was you and it was Pat, whose last name I'm blanking on, but he used to be at the Washington Times.
0: Patrick Stevens.
3: There you go. Patrick Stevens. I, rem- I very vividly remember you and Patrick Stevens giving me my first like, you got this, like you're going to be fine. We can see it. Um, and that was before the rest of the world got hip. So one of these days I'm gonna cut you a check standard. Don't worry.
0: <laughs> oh, I, I appreciate that. I, 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 I'm i seeing if I can convert my McNutt stock into Bitcoin. Cause I think I hear that that's like that's like the way to go these days. Uh, no, no, it's been really impressive. You had obviously a lot of personality when you played at Georgetown which is how I, I first got to know you. And then you were, I don't know if you were an intern or what you were doing, but you were at NBC Sports Washington when I was doing stuff from there. I was like, oh, okay, so this is happening. And then you know you you had your your fits and starts along the way, and now here you are doing the thing at ESPN and just blowing up over the last few months. What's that? Uh, what's it been like to get all this uh, newfound uh, newfound attention?
3: Um, it, it's been really fun and humbling. And Stanek, I say this humbly, and I, and you know me, so I think you you get it. Um, It's been great and I'm very excited and I'm definitely gonna ride the wave. But at the same time, I'm kind of like, welcome to the party, I've been here, you know? And I just kind of needed an opportunity. Um, I have the utmost respect for you though, my guy, because I can remember when I really fully grasped that you were a freelancer at the time, I was like, wow, how does that work? And so now, technically I'm still a freelancer um, and I've been able to cobble it together in a sustainable way and I'm very proud of that. But I think, Freelancing is a beast, man. And more journalism courses and mentor-mentee relationships need to talk about that and how to do it well. So um, I'm super thankful. I'm having a blast. Um, It's been good standing. And, And I say very often that I still very much put on for Prince George's County, the DMV area, the people that supported me when the honchos and the bigwigs couldn't necessarily see it because that means so much to me. It means so much to me. I don't know that I survived the war of attrition without people like yourself in my corner. I'm um, encouraging me to keep me going.
0: Uh, uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, like so. One thing I'm fascinated by is like the career path. Like you talked about doing the freelance. Like when I got into this, I don't know over a decade ago. I had zero idea what I was doing. I just knew. Like at that point, my other sort of job situations kind of fell apart. I was had a had a, had a literal one toe into the sports world I was like well let me i don't know how to do anything else but talk about sports so let's go this way and it took a while to figure out some things whatever but like i didn't really know what i was going to do but writing made, it was only thing that made sense nobody's putting this face on tv all that <laughs> but like now i can't figure out what does somebody in your situation do because 10 years ago even it would have been like okay some sort of an anchor like on the local or an, or ideally on a national scene i shouldn't say ideally but like local or a national scene like an espn mm-hmm. there's the game analyst or play-by-play person mm-hmm. um, and the, and those things still exist but the local broadcast I mean look let's be honest local sports is not what it was and it's not like it's easy to just say well I'm going to become a, an ESPN anchor so yeah. um, I, what and also now we've opened up this other world there's all this you know between streaming and YouTube there's all these other paths out there and you're on all these panels now around the horn and so on. So like, what is like, do you have a sense in your head, like what is the path? And because you were a former athlete, that opens up, I would imagine either other doors for you because it, you can, you know, be in that category. So, so what for you, Like what's the path at this point?
3: Um, the path is a jungle gym. It's, it's a winding thing. And I think I very vividly remember when it kind of switched for me mentally, just move forward. Because I think the traditional path, and I can remember coming out of grad school in 2013, they were still kind of drilling that traditional path in our mind. You know, you get a local job, you get a regional job, you get a national job. And that still had some viability, but it was beginning to shift and change for sure. Um, And so I did have, I dabbled in that. But I think when I reflect on my path, two things, the combination of two things, I think make me unique. I am a former athlete, but I also have a whole journalism degree. And I am quick to remind people of that. <laughs> and I went and got that degree specifically because I did not want to be boxed in as just an analyst, right? I'm fortunate that I think some of my natural gifts, abilities, and talents align with this career track and the skills that I learned from the University of Maryland. Shout out to George Solomon always. Um, but I think for me, being able to navigate those two worlds has really made my journey unique. I can bring it down, polish it up and give you straight hosts. But I also can give you all the energy and personality as a panelist, as an analyst. And so I think that duality has really helped me which is funny cause standing, I remember like people saying you should specialize. And I was like, mm, I don't, I don't want to specialize. I don't think I should have to specialize. I'm good at more than one thing. And so um, I've been really, really fortunate. And I think that again, that's part of the reason why I can be a freelancer, because primarily I have not been asked to host much for ESPN. I am uh, host radio is about the extent of my hosting, but for MSG, like I host a show regularly. Um, and so that duality to me has been special and made me unique in navigating the space.
0: You, you reminded me there, you went from Georgetown undergrad to Maryland. So you, you cutest uh, so Wahab followed your path. Is that, is that what we're saying here?
3: so it's so crazy because i would never give like i don't have any maryland apparel i have one philip merrill sports journalism center t-shirt because george solomon was my guy and that obviously was my focus but i don't you know how i get downstanding. standing like you can't see this because y'all listen to the audio but the georgetown gear is in the back there's a maryland award something around here somewhere it's probably still in the box um very appreciative of my time but the blood is blue and gray baby don't ever get it twisted i don't know what wahab is doing i don't understand
0: uh yes, I I don't I don't really understand what he, what he's doing either. You would think if you're a big man like that, staying with Patrick Ewing would be a good thing, especially when you had a breakout year but uh, I don't know it's a, it's a curious uh, curious time. Uh, so t- t- talk to me. I'm fascinated by, as I assume a lot of people are about like what kind of goes on, behind the scenes now at ESPN, you've done Around the Horn. That was like, I feel like you in terms of ESPN, that felt like that was your breakout moment. And everybody noted that uh, on social media and, and, and all that. How, how does that work? Cause like, obviously what's interesting about a show like that, you talked about, you know, specializing a second ago. In my side of the industry, they tell us a lot to, it, it, it's morphed these days into specialization. And you used to be more generalists, Back in the day but now you kind of have to be an nba person an nfl person i'm actually pretty rare that i somewhat bounce between the two people yell at me all the time and tell me i'm an idiot and stop doing that but i can't help myself um but when you so you're talking about being a, a specialist or a journalist in terms of the role but in terms of when you go on a show like that the topic the first topic could be tom go- brady <laughs> tom brady's uh future with tampa bay the next topic could be the, the AL East race. The next topic could be something that Dale Earnhardt Jr. said about NASCAR and you have to go all over the place. So what's the preparation like when you have to do that? Like well, how much are they are kind of telling you in advance what you're talking about? And how do you, because you have to you have to drop a lot of information in like 30 to 60 seconds yeah. and sound like you know what you're talking about.
3: Yeah. All right. So I got to rewind in terms of how I even got there. Shout out to black women doing the thing in the industry. Jasmine Ellis um, and Charles Peach are under Eric Reithon. And they launched um, a program called Unseen Productions. And it was basically geared toward preparing diverse candidates for those types of shows, because obviously Ride Home is sort of the umbrella under which all of those shows fall. And so I was with them for about six months. And so we would mimic exactly the cadence of Around the Horn. We had a production meeting in the morning. There was a Google document. We would hop on a call. We discuss some points, some nuggets. We had a great member on our team who would send us research notes formulate our points and then we would tape later in the day and so those clips were circulating and I think Aaron Solomon, Ride Home, um, the powers that be at ESPN felt like I was prepared and so that's kind of how my the door opened up initially and so it's basically the same thing with Around the Horn we hop on our call we've got a google doc we're hashing things back and forth and quite candidly it's crazy standing because I'm on a panel with like Jackie McMullen, Mina Kime, Sarah Spain but Bill Plaschke, like Tim Kalashaw, Woody Page, like these people that have been covering the game for as long as I've been alive, maybe not Sarah and Mina, but like they they <laughs> yeah. have a depth of knowledge that I just can't touch, right? Um, but I think that's kind of what makes it unique. And it's so funny because Justin Tinsley is a great writer at The Undefeated and he was my partner on the Unseen track as we were preparing. And I remember us saying one day that like, that show has to get, it needs to get a little bit younger. It needs different perspectives. And so both of us being added around the same time has been really cool because in that show there is no right or wrong answer. Um, And the dirty little secret on TV sometimes is people aren't necessarily coming to us to be experts on it as much as they're coming to us to see our opinions and our perspective, right? Um, And so as I have this past year through MSG a lot though, cause our MSG show covers a bunch of different topics. I've been really working to expand my sports base um, and understanding of other sports, but I can't come at a baseball story the way Woody Page and Tim Kalashaw would. But I can say, oh, you know, as a you know, as a casual fan or someone that's just getting into the game or representing millennials, I thought X, Y, Z because, right? And so there's not necessarily a wrong answer. Um, it's just your point of view. Um, and so I think that's cool. But I will, I won't lie, it has been a little bit intimidating to be like, oh, these people that like have awards. Like when we did the master show, I really enjoyed the masters this year. I thought Matsuyama was great. I thought Matsuyama and um Shoffley going into water at 15th was like, oh my God, this is great theater. I love the kill, the kid Will's Zalatoris at 24. I really enjoyed it. My more, more pure golf fans on our call, they like had all these things to say. And I was like, you guys sound a little bit curmudgeon-y. I really enjoyed it. And that was my perspective and what I brought to the table. So um, it's been cool. It's really been cool. I think I am most proud of that show because at the root of my base Mm -hmm. in this industry is I played women's college basketball. I covered women's basketball. And so to sit at the table, you covered NBA, you covered NFL, you've covered MLB. And to sit at that table with those folks, in my opinion, be just as valid is super cool to me.
0: Yeah. And and by the way, like obviously people listening to you now can hear your personality come through easily. But when obviously on TV, it's a different thing. And oftentimes now, not so much right this minute because of the pandemic. I don't know if people are hanging out in bars, but typically if you go to like a sports bar at ESPN's on all day long and you can see these shows and you can't always hear what they're saying, but you can see. And some people, like you said, some of the older people, they may bring certain level of gravitas or information, but Production-wise, they appear to pretty stodgy. Yeah. You, there's a lot of there's a lot going on, and that <laughs> and that comes across on TV in a good way. I mean, you're 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 enthusiastic, you're entertaining, and people can 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 see that. And it definitely is a good contrast to the you know, some of the ones who've, who've been there, uh, been there, been there, done that. All right, I don't know how much you're going to say on this, so whatever. It, like, a, like in wwe breaking news the the outcomes are predetermined okay <laughs> so so when we're going around the horn and we get to this and the four people start and it gets now to two and then somebody wins to what degree is all that predetermined or is tony reality legitimately just pushing buttons people go up and go down and then at the end of the show somebody is a, the winner
3: um i we it is not predetermined to us we don't know what tony is going to select i will say that tony has his rhyme and reason and i think it's funny because when i first got to the show i mean i'm still relatively new to the show uh justin and i had a power with our unseen crew jasmine and peach again who prepared us and i was like you guys didn't prepare us that the points aren't necessarily adding up properly because there are there have been shows standing where i'm like do i sound stupid i have like six points and everybody else is in double digits already like am i keeping up And Tony and Josh Bard and Aaron Solomon, the production staff are so great. They're they're always like, please don't read too much into the points. But you really have to, especially as a rookie, you gotta really, okay, digest that and honestly trust it. So the results are not predetermined. But you
0: have have to, don't you, like if you win, you have to then give a 30 second thing. So you have to prepare every time just in case?
3: Yeah, FaceTime. You are advised to prepare your FaceTime just in case. Um, And we don't know at the end of our meetings. Now, whatever Tony may have cooked up in his mind or the kind of mood he's in today, I can't speak to that. But he, I will say this, of any show that I've been a part of, I don't know that I've come across a host that takes more care of a product than Tony, which speaks to his longevity, right? Like there's this great face video going of his time at ESPN. He recently signed another deal, congratulations to him. But Tony takes such good care of that show, of the people on the show. He's incredibly mindful. Um, and he just brings his energy and his heart and soul to it. I, I remember when he called me, when I was getting the call up, we talked the night before, which was super cool. And he like was bugging me because I was kind of busy, not bugging in a bad way, but he pressed me to follow up. He's like, no, we got to talk before you come on the show. Um, and he takes such tremendous care of it.
0: I've only met him once. Obviously he's based here. I think I've only met him once, maybe no, he's twice. In New York now. Oh, he's in New York now. Okay. Well, when they were all, oh, I, I guess that's right. Well, when, when he was here, yeah, yeah, yeah that's how that long ago. It? So when he was here as... I don't know if he was stat boy at that time at PTI or whatever, but like he just came across as incredibly nice. Uh, and, yeah. I, and, and most people in our industry suck. So uh, I'm, I'm kidding, sort of. Uh, <laughs> but, but he was very nice. Um, so part of your journey, if I remember this right, is you did at various points do some things for the Washington football team when under a different name at that point. But you did yeah. some things there. Obviously, things have changed a bit at least on the football side I don't know about the organizational side where they're working on that but on the football side it has with Ron Rivera um you mentioned you do some radio work you were on the radio yesterday and the show had Ron Rivera on as as a guest so we're obviously a couple weeks away from from the draft I have not had a chance to hear that interview I presume that Ron Rivera spilled his entire draft plan out to 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 the show so could you tell us, no, can you tell us what they're going to do? No, but what, I, what was the what was sort of the t- your takeaway from him and, and as somebody who has been working for the organization, at least in that freelance way, what's your view of this place now Compared with Rivera compared to where it was a couple of years ago?
3: There seems to be direction under Rivera, for sure. Um, and a lot of that interview had to do with the hiring of Natalia Durantes as the chief of staff. Um, and he talked at length about how, and I don't want to mess up the name of the event, but I believe it's the Women's Football Summit. Um, that, that's where he connected with her. And I didn't know this, but Rama Bear's wife was a coach both at the collegiate and WNBA level. so yep. he talked a lot about the symmetry there in terms of watching his wife navigate um, and then meeting Natalia and why she was the right fit for the job. And he you know he quite frankly said, you know I didn't do it because of she's a woman or because of a PR thing. like she's qualified. <laughs> um, and you know, I really believe that a variety of diverse voices in our organization make our organization better. And under his leadership as an organization, um it does reflect that now with the Washington football team and so I think that's really cool but just in terms of the football things standing and you've been in the city long enough there's a direction and I will be the first to admit that last year I wasn't 100% sure why Dwayne got yanked so fast or wasn't really given the opportunity I, in the beginning I was like what are we doing here and of course by the end of the season we have all the answers that we needed but I think there is a direction there's buy-in from players obviously that front seven is incredible the energy around chase there's so much energy around terry um the quarterback situation is what it is but i trust ron to kind of navigate these waters more than i think we've trusted a head coach here in a really long time and i'll be honest yesterday with the signing of the tight end kids some i don't want to mess up his last name but the basketball player out of Tulane, i'm like oh they are they're getting creative and cooking up some stuff let's see how this pans out so The biggest thing that I've enjoyed from Ron in what, now his second year here? Yes. Um, Is that he seems to have a vision. And I can remember, he hopped on a podcast with Steve Weish and Jim Trotter. I want to say, I can't remember at what point last season, but obviously a big part of the storyline was his personal battle with cancer. Um, But they talked about that and they talked about the team and the organization. It had to be preseason now that I'm thinking about it. And he talked very candidly about having a conversation with Dan Snyder about needing to be able to call the shots, right? And he said that his wife was even like, do you really buy this? Like, are you really in on this? Um, But for him, after that meeting, he was confident that he could come in and put his imprint on this organization. And I think we've seen that. And so the direction to me, promising, is probably the most exciting piece of what I think Ron Rivera, the Rivera era, has brought to the Washington football team yeah
0: i mean he talks about culture all the time I and mean, obviously fans just generally only give a crap about the x's and o's and what's happening on the field but he talks all the time about culture 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 and i've said for years i thought one of the big mistakes in the dan snyder era you know beyond the, the spending money on on sort of older players who are past their prime or the constant mm-hmm. changes of of coaches and general managers was when he first got here because he spent all this money on new players in turn a lot of the people who were part of this what it meant to be a member of the Washington Redskins and and granted they were already at that point a few years several years beyond the Super Bowl era but regardless you still had some connections they guys like Daryl Green Brian Mitchell and so on like a lot of those guys were sort of thrown out and you just had this randomness of mercenaries coming in and there was no feel anymore for what it meant to be on this team what were expectations and and uh, I think that was part of the rudderless ship aspect that's been going on that it's taken a while and now it feels like with Rivera, he's trying to, 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 to write that. And you know, th- this idea of culture kind of brings me to the place you started your journey to some degree at Georgetown, because for me, this is obviously a, 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 something I'm familiar with because I was a fan and covered the team. Culture there is, uh, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but it's very specific. Georgetown is a very, uh, they, they, they very much isolate themselves from the outside. So, I mean, at least on the men's side. I won't speak to the women's program, which has had some evolutions over time. When you were there, it was a you, you guys were, were highly ranked. Eye roll,
3: standing. Don't bring up the demise. My girls got to get it together, big time. I well, roll, but please continue. Let's talk.
0: <laughs> well, I'm just curious. Like you know, we we hear about culture all the time, but you have now. You were part of a, a, a big time college program. I said Georgetown was right there. You know, battling Connecticut for top honors in the Big East when you, when you were there and you were, you know, right, you know, you, you knew uh, big coach, John Thompson, um, as well, saw kind of what was going on there, John Thompson, the third, and so on. So you've seen that aspect. So when Ravon Rivera talks about culture, the importance of that, again, I think for a lot of fans, it's an eye roll situation, like, okay, whatever. But like, from you, what you've seen, how important is that? And like, when you see the big differences between sort of Uh, how maybe Rivera's approaching it versus how George is still approaching it like what's the how do you kind of view that aspect of these situations
3: I I, I do want to make this distinction though in terms of the pro experience and the collegiate experience I, I would never roll my eyes as Ron Rivera discusses culture because I've heard too many pros talk about how dangerous those initial years in the league can be depending on where you are if you don't have leadership in front of you if you're not with an organization that understands the importance of culture and the direction in which they're heading it can really be detrimental to these first-time pros trying to figure out who they're going to be in the league so i think in particular ron with this group and the youth that we've seen the culture part is imperative um and we saw obviously last year with some you know head scratching moments with the quarterback who ultimately is no longer on the team like if the only thing that we can absolutely control is the culture of our locker room, then that's what we're going to control. And so I, I absolutely respect that from Ron Rivera. And he's a guy that's won in this league. So he has the cachet to say, this is what I'm doing and y'all need to get on board. Um, I think on the, in the college space, I really think Georgetown is on the cusp of doing some special things. I was disappointed to see some of the exits this year, but obviously I'm not boots to the ground. I will say that that organization and program has still taken care of me and still looks out to me, looks out for me to this day. So I'm very thankful for those relationships. I think that we always say practicing law practice, medical practice, right? Even coaches are practicing. And I truly believe that Big Pat has a heart for those athletes, a heart to win, a heart to lead this program back to where it once was. Um, But in many ways, he's still practicing. And I think we used to look at transferring and secrecy one way. And I I just, I argue that it's starting to shift a little bit, Um, especially when you talk about the transferring players just want to have the best opportunity that they deem for themselves. Um, And so, but I do think it requires that coaching staff begin to adapt and adjust and the recruiting becomes a daily thing now, right? If you want guys to stick around, I'm super excited about the class that he has coming in there. Um, But I think, It is unfair to just toss out Hoya paranoia and not acknowledge Big Pat's entire experience as both a student athlete, a professional, uh, NBA level assistant, and now getting to the college level as a head coach. Um, And Big Pat, I mean, Big John was like a father to him. So of course he carries some of that to a degree. Um, But I think ultimately he's gonna be judged by the results that he puts out on the court. And coming off a Big East championship, when you was picked to be at the bottom of the pile, standing is not a bad place to finish the season. So I'm really excited about the incoming recruiting class, um, and I'm excited to see where Big Pack can take this program. I hope that that wasn't a shot in the pan, and in my heart of hearts, I think that he's about to turn a corner.
0: What a tremendously diplomatic uh, answer there! I, you I, know, expect... I
3: hold on for my people.
0: I. I... I expected nothing less. It was very good. Well, well, thoughtful. You, you didn't completely kowtow to, to to the alma mater, but you, you know, you did a little, that's good. It's all, all good. Uh, last thing here, you, uh, we, we are both DC area people. So is Kevin Durant. I don't know. I'm trying to think I had, a, I'm trying to think I had a around the horn, this topic. I don't have the, I don't have a clip or anything. And I don't even know where to go, but his, if you had said to me a few years ago when he did the whole you know he, he's calling his mom the real mvp and at uh-huh. that point it felt like he had like a hundred percent approval rating outside of maybe the opposing city t- uh, teams
1: uh-huh. uh, fans
0: of opposing uh, teams he the, if you had said to me at that point hey by the way kevin durant's gonna become an unbelievable twitter troll basically i i would never have seen this happen i don't know if you how well you know him at all from from the area but like what, what, what is going on with this guy? He's always on Twitter. He's like, he, you know, he's won titles. He's won an MVP. He's going to go down as one of the best basketball players ever. And yet he's he goes after these people on Twitter or, you know, you know, like some other celebrities like Michael Rappaport, the way like I might, but I'm like an
3: insecure nobody. Like, what is he doing? So here's my one pushback on this standing. Just because this man is an elite basketball player, MVPs, championships, the whole bit, if he's a petty Eddie, then that's who he is, and I, I think we have to stop trying to box him in. But,
0: but did, you think, so did you think you think he yesterday. was pe- did you think he was petty before? Like I don't know. It feels like he wasn't that way, and that it feels like it's a turn. Maybe he just let it out. I, that's what I don't know.
3: I don't know him personally, so I can't speak to whether he's petty Eddie personally. But I, I think I, yesterday I actually retweeted somebody who basically was like. Kevin Durant went and spent three hours clapping back at Shannon Sharp and trolls and then went and dropped 30 plus points on the Minnesota Lynx like it's casual. Like the day that his Twitter beef turns into him having two points and on on what, one of 18 from the field, like then we have an issue. But for right now, like if he's Petty Eddie, then all right, Katie, just as long as you show up ready to ball. Like I, I just, I find it to be a little bit entertaining. I know some people have questions or whether or not, whether it comes from a sad place. He just got time in my mind. Like he's a very successful businessman. He's a very successful NBA player and he got time. I, I, it's funny though, because spinning this back to my ascent in some of the places that I'm in, athletes can clap back like this. Like, you know what I mean? That's the era that we're living in. And I'm fine with us disagreeing. I'm very mindful to be respectful, um, but I, I just think it's, it's funny. And, and, and it does... Think you Make you think twice before you go running your mouth because you're going to be held accountable for whatever you said. And I think that that is okay. I don't think that as talking heads, I kind of hate that term, but I guess I'm sort of one of them. <laughs> I don't think that you just get up, get to get up here and spout off at the mouth and not be held accountable. Nah. And now, so you just need to be held accountable and we see what happens.
0: I, it's a totally fair point. I mean, look, I, I go on this podcast and I have to state my opinion on the football team, the Wizards, Georgetown, whatever. And, you know, because you know, I'm not making like headlines with whatever I'm saying, those people don't necessarily need to say something. Now I have had, I have had people over time behind the scenes, like say what the, you know, what the hell or push back or, or things along those lines. But, you know, but yeah, I, it, because nobody does it publicly, you can probably fall into a comfort zone of just continuing to do it and to do it. And it is refreshing on some level to see somebody like Durant push back against whomever. The interview he did with Charles Barkley or the TNT group this mm-hmm. year where Barkley's asking him a question and he just gives like one word answers clearly to Chuck not not being a fan of whatever Barkley had said to him um it's interesting I'd like to say it's just such a bizarre turn from he just seemed like this super nice humble kid that he's <laughs> turned into this like other type of personality it's but, I mean people evolve but it's just interesting to see it I was
3: I was just about to say that standing like I think and, and I can relate to this experience a, a little bit, not quite to Katie's level that I would become Petty Eddie, but I do think that we grow. And I think playing the good dude role and like Thunderstruck, the, the movie comes out and, and the shoes get released and, and all of this as you're kind of ascending. And then once you arrive, I think one of the most significant things that I've heard Katie say recently is like, he's more than all of this. Like he's going to be good either way. I do think that he, he wants to win a championship and I don't think he would deny that. But I think he now has this perspective that like, this is me, take it or leave it. And if y'all going to call me cupcake and deem me a villain for going to go join uh golden state, then fine. I'm going to be a villain. Like, and that's, that's okay. I personally enjoy it. It gives us plenty of fodder. Um, and like I said, he's still getting buckets. So go ahead, Patty. Eddie.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's, I mean, it's really, a, it's unbelievable what he's doing when he's on the court. Hopefully he can stay on the court more and we focus more on that than uh <laughs> Than, than, than him, than him uh, trying to posterize Shannon Sharp or Michael Rappaport <laughs> on Twitter uh, Monica uh, great as, as expected go follow Monica on Twitter at McNutt Monica go watch her on MSG ESPN listen to her podcast Buckets Boards and Blocks on the Pure Hoops media uh, network yeah. Rockstar keep it going we're, 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 we're rooting for you we're, we're excited to see where you go next uh, just stay out of the Kevin Durant Twitter fights, and, and you'll be fine. Oh, actually, maybe not. Maybe it could be a good career <laughs> it move.
3: Elevate me, depending on what we're talking about. But,
0: uh, actually, it's a fair point. If you get caught up, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Ignore that advice. Go, 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 <laughs> go, go. Find, go find your Shannon Sharp, and go have fun. Appreciate it,
3: Standing. Thank you for having me. You know, you've been with me in the trenches. I legit will never forget your kindness. Very early on in the career. So, thanks for having me.
0: Okay. Many thanks to Jamin Davis, Pete Sampson, Monica McNutt. Uh, And, of course, for everybody here listening to the podcast, definitely appreciate this. Can't have this happen without you. Um, If you you missed any of the other recent podcasts, did one of the Evan Silva recently where we did an entire first round mock draft. Tons of other interesting podcast guests in recent days. So check all that out on the Standing Room Only podcast. That's it for me for now. Ben Standing signing off. And until next time, see ya.